This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an ironclad original presented by Sig Sauer. My guest today is my dear friend, Andy Stumpf. Now, Andy and I met each other at Bud's in January of 1997. He was the youngest person in our Bud's class, and uh, we've been friends ever since. We went to our first SEAL team together, SEAL Team 5, separate platoons. And then uh, as I went off to OCS, he went off to one of the top tier special operations units in the world. So uh, we had a great talk together. I always love catching up with him and uh, enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome to the Danger Close podcast in the Cleared Hot studio, which is up here in Montana. And Two words or two phrases that often would go together. I know. Clear hot and danger close. I know. So I wanted this. Uh, so my podcast, I wanted this beyond the books thing is the theme. Like take people to answer those questions, explore things that go beyond what's in the novels. Um, so beyond the books part was like, I knew that part. And then I'm like, oh, danger close. Like you're too close to the books. And I was like, oh man, Andy has that in the beginning of his thing. And so that's when I texted you like a year ago. And I was like, hey, bro. <laughs> Can I, what, do you mind? What do you think? Do you mind if I use this danger close thing? And you were like, nope. dude, go for it, bro. I was like, oh, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think my first trip at Team 5 when we got there was a JTAC trip before it was called JTAC, before they had an official, I don't know what they did before. You just, as a communicator, Cass, you went out there. Support. And I guess you got a certificate. It just wasn't called JTAC. It wasn't like an official certification. But I know you must have done that. Well, I was a JTAC. But I do remember even in my first, the first trip I did after getting my bird was to Arizona as well. We were working with, uh, I think it was A-10s and probably F-16s out of Davis-Monthan. Such great, oh my, having those A-10s come over. Yeah. Cast, but so we, awesome. were con- we were controlling them. I certainly wasn't a JTAC at the time. Then yeah. I went out to Fallon in my second platoon, got my JTAC qualification. And that's when I started tracking the actual calls that you do. Yeah. But yeah, I don't remember actually what they did before that. Yeah, because I don't think they had the an actual was it program. a fact or is that more of an army term? I think that's a forward air controller for army, but I don't know if we had anyway. I don't know, but I went to Fallon yeah. for that first one. So a brand new guy, Alpha, go to Fallon. All of a sudden, out right out of buds, I'm controlling these aircraft. I don't think I'd even gone to SQT yet. Uh, I think it was pre SQT. That's sweet. I think. Um, so my first, so I was really there to take out the garbage. You know, yeah. empty people's cups full of dip spit. Um, do new guy stuff like that. But uh, but I remember there not being a program, like not being a curriculum. You just went out there and you had some guy, some SEAL that like that became his thing that kind of lived out there and set some things up for you. And you went out there with the old school radio at the time. Um, uh, and yeah, you called in these birds and all of a sudden, now you're a the communicator guy. You're going to go to comm school. And now you're controlling these. <laughs> I love it. I remember you're dropping, going think, to go to comm school. I think we dropped napalm. Like, I don't think you're allowed to like drop napalm stuff in real life, but I think it was one of the last. So this would be 97. So some of the JTACs out there can that would be tell me I'm wrong. But it was like napalm. 97, late 97, early 98 is when I did that. So then point being, went back, did SQT, got the communicator qual. Then the next time I went back, then it was an actual JTAC course and they had a curriculum yep. and you had things you had to do and get checked off and get signatures. And then you had that qual. But before that, I don't think there was an actual JTAC qual. Let's just be honest with the audience about the SEAL teams pre 9-11. <laughs> there were some differences and now are differences, even from a doctrinal level of committing perhaps 
information to paper, training pipelines to paper, SOPs, TTPs. We've come a long way. Yep. Pre-9-11, I was wearing jungle boots at Nyland with green camis doing river and stream crossing. Old school. Getting Old school. Yeah, Loved yeah. every minute of it, by the way. It was awesome. Did none yep. of that post 9-11. No, no things definitely... <laughs> <laughs> Things definitely professionalized a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and they were headed that way beforehand, like the Force 21 stuff, re kind of allocating resources to be more efficient. Like that, that stuff was in the pipeline, but then you really had to develop new tactics and techniques and procedures for what we were doing and where we were fighting post 9-11. You remember though, sure. when we first got into the teams, each team ran their, their own, own training. Yeah, so their like own Team training. 3 was, I couldn't get people at Team <laughs> 3 to give me like the chocolate chip camis. I was like, Oh, damn, those look sexy. Yeah, yeah. And we would go to Kodiak at Team 5, and they didn't go. And yeah, yeah. I don't know what Team 1 did, but they weren't having any fun wherever they were doing. Oh, yeah. What no they fun were doing. one, yeah. yeah. And interestingly enough, right after September 11th, even though we'd done, you know, we had snowshoes with us. We had all, you know, the cold weather stuff. We'd trained up in Kodiak. We were, you know, ready to go. We were waiting for a, back in those days, like some sort of a North Korea contingency, for sure. that sort of thing. So, Which we would have gotten crushed. Yeah, <laughs> not a, a very interesting place <laughs> to, uh, to have to adapt. But uh, those same guys you just talked about, the Team 3 guys that didn't have snowshoes, that hadn't done anything in cold weather, well, those guys went to Afghanistan and we ended up taking over their shipboarding operations in what we then called the Northern Arabian Gulf area. Uh, so that's kind of how the military works in general. Like if you are fluent in, let's say, Spanish, Guess where you're going to go? Germany. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're going to go a completely different area. Like yeah. You're going to Afghanistan. You know, yeah. hey, you speak you speak Farsi. Hey, we got a place for you in Colombia. Yeah. You know, we got going to France. It's like what? Yeah, yeah. That's just how the military works in general. But remember, also when we showed up at Team Five, you remember the guys that would wear UDT shorts with boots and then their uniform top, so a yeah. camouflage top. You didn't have to wear pants. You could wear UDT shorts, but that what they call the blouse, which is just a top, yeah. uh, extended to the bottom. Of those shorts because they're so short. Because so it looks like you're not wearing any pants. A 0.5 inch inseam. <laughs> An unacceptably <Worst>. short <laughs> pair of pants that had a belt that went through a little D-ring system that did nothing because there was no actual <laughs> belt. It was just a tab of fabric. But you could conduct business in that. and you had to wear boots, the jungle boots that had, I think, dive socks that folded, folded over, over the top. Three rolls. Like legit. <laughs> like, I mean, and people would conduct business, serious business yeah. in that uniform. Yeah. Um, With they, their penis hanging it, out. It, <laughs> Because <laughs> you don't wear underwear. Because in buds, there's something about the underwear in second phase and oxygen. And if you wear underwear, you're going to implode. I don't even remember what it what it was, but no, it was the chafing. Probably was it the chafing. No, there's something about. Isn't there something about diving in second phase where everybody stopped wearing underwear because of some sort of a dive injury you could get? You were the second phase OIC. I didn't give that brief, and it wasn't the OIC. It's possible I made that up. Yeah, I was never the OIC. I got my commission while I was at second phase, okay. and then left. Got it. Okay. For Claire, for so now, now you're yeah. forgiven for not knowing this dive injury that somehow I am associating with wearing underwear. And people can check, and we can Google it. And it's possible that I totally made that up. It's possible that I've been completely I want it to be true. I've forgotten completely what the requirements are on that, but I want it to be true now because it sounds amazing. <laughs> but also what happened with UD2 shorts is back in that time, this is before, before internet and, and all that sort of thing, every now and again, a news crew would come through yep. and do some sort of a local story or they did, you know, on the seals, a two-part series, a three-part series. And they typically had, I remember anyway, uh, the female journalist uh, that had a camera crew, two or three, three people, somebody holding the mic and someone on the camera. So, yep. uh, and then they'd want to film us doing our exercises in the morning. Flutter and kicks. So what did, the, uh, what did the instructors do? <laughs> Not just flutter kicks, but good morning, darlings. Yeah. And for people that know what that is, you're on your back, you lift your legs up. 
and you spread your legs and then you bring them back together. It's and not I think a you PG show, people. I think it's you cross a, them. You can, yes, four counts. Something like, yeah, yeah, I remember this. And I remember them specifically doing that because you weren't wearing underwear in second phase in particular. You're welcome. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so to make it impossible to edit out and get a good shot of, uh, of us doing those things. So Nobody you know, wants to see that. To include school, the students. <laughs> no. And in Sear School, you'd call that, uh, you know, a win. You want to have those little wins in Sear School. Um, yeah. But uh, that would, would be what this was against probably not. It's, it's nothing against the uh, the journalists that are coming through, but it's more for the higher level authority uh, in the military in general to just, you know, oh, yeah, you want to have our training day be dictated by a dog and pony show? Guess what we're going to do? Good morning, darlings. And flutter kicks. <laughs> and then back to good morning, darlings. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Crazy. Crazy. So, uh <laughs> I was going to make a joke and talk about, uh, ask you a lot about buds. Go for it. A lot about SEAL team experience. Go for it. But you're going to be underwhelmed with my interested. <laughs> I am much more interested in, because uh, you came back to the West Coast. I was there at the time. You're doing the the CrossFit thing. Yep. And uh, my wife's working out then. Yep. doing the CrossFit. CrossFit and Coronado, yeah. Yep. That was amazing. I was into it at the, at the time. I know you'd be shocked to learn that uh, it's been a year or two since I've worked out. Um, but one day I'll get back to it. Priorities. But, Second um, week of February. <laughs> that's the, that's what I'm, <laughs> I think is that next month. Yeah. Uh, but when you transitioned, what did you think you were going to do? Like when you got when you got out. So let's say was it, is it your last year that you are like okay medically retiring? Uh, I have to jump through some hoops here. I got to go to medical. I got to go to dental. I got to turn in some gear. I got to sign a couple of things. Uh, yeah, I'm not in this pipeline to stay in. So I have a little time to maybe take a breath and figure this next stage out. One, how long was that period for you? Was it like you got back from your last deployment and you had a month or did you have like that full year to kind of go through and do all that? And then what was your plan? Not what happened, but yeah. what was your plan? What were you thinking? So it took about a year. So I had to go through the MEB-PEB process. Wow. Which- You're good with the acronyms. I don't, a physical evaluation board is the PEB one. I forget, the, maybe it's a medical evaluation board. It's the process for a military, or I'm sorry, not a military. It is a military retirement, but it's a medical retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and you get your VA rating in that as well. So I did not only my appointments that I needed to do for the med board, and there's, a, as you know, anything, there's a huge amount of bureaucracy in the military, even inside of the SEAL teams. And when mm -hmm. you start talking about MEB, PEB, that's big Navy process. That's big military process. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. It means six inches of paperwork, yeah. you know, that you have to get done. So it took me six months to get that done. And I knew the process was going to take about a year. I knew that I was going yeah. to at least go into the uh, med board process. And I knew that it was likely going to terminate into military retirement. So I got mm -hmm. extended for a year. Okay. Six months of that was actually getting everything done. Nerve conduction studies, uh, going out to NICO, you know, uh, that's a month. Is NICO a month? How long NICO is, is a 30 day, all full inclusive, just across wow. the street from Walter Reed. The best medical treatment I've ever received. Shouldn't be a surprise. It's run by civilians. So, therefore, not that the military uh, medicine is horrendous, but civilian medicine, in my experience, has been better. What was the day at NICO? I'm going to take you off track here for a second because I've, I've. Testing all, all day. So you, all day, every day. You would walk in, you would, uh, you, they had one uh, nurse or nurse practitioner that was attached to about four people and in brief for that day, they'd explain your schedule. Uh, oftentimes it was blood and then it would go audiology, then, you know, uh, cognitive testing, uh, sit down with the psych or the shrink. Uh, physical therapy. One night they did a sleep study, you know, where they put the stuff all over you. It was all day, every day for 30 days. What was the most valuable part of that? 
It's probably different for everybody, but for you, what was the most valuable part of that? The write-up at the end, 150 pages of documenting where my body was at that phase in my career, which was probably the largest portion of the horsepower that got me through that PEB, MEB process. Because then I did some additional testing on top of that for like nerve stuff for my leg from, uh, you know, getting hurt. Uh, getting shot getting shot yeah the, the concussive stuff um, and you know so the VA appointments in addition to that six months in I submit the paperwork and then it's hey we'll get back to you somewhere between now and we're not even going to tell you when because we don't even know how long and so you just wait at that point you wait I waited at that point the results came back three months later that I was in fact going to get medically retired and then I had three months to plan for uh, you know, turning in all the gear, all the administrative yeah. stuff. So I got lucky though. So when I got when I got hurt on the East Coast, I used CrossFit. I found it on the recommendation of a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still active duty. Uh, he was a Team Five guy mm-hmm. uh, in my first platoon. I'll, I'll tell you his name yeah. offline. You'll definitely recognize him. But he's still over there, still active duty. He's like, hey man, you should you should check out CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I had absolutely no idea what it was. It's the first time I had heard the word. Went onto the website and the I remember the workout. It was it was deadlift one 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 one. And my first yeah. thought was, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. That was my experience too. I saw five 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 five. Same thing off the recommendation of a friend from my first platoon. Yeah, I'm like, this is I'm trash. Like, Get out of here. Uh-huh. Uh I was not getting my rehab at the time. You know, the military is leaps and bounds now, where they are in caring for people. Earlier on in the war, mm. it, you know, it was still in that up ramp. So I was getting yeah. some e stem therapy on my leg where they'd put the electric pads on. And then that was really it. So I went back to the website later on and it it seemed, I spent some more time. Yep. I did a little bit of research and then I went into the gym and I started just teaching myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm born and raised in Santa Cruz. So I was back on a trip in Santa Cruz around the holidays. And HQ. I, I didn't realize that though. It's like eight blocks from my parents' house. Wow. So I went over and I met uh, Greg and just said, hey, hello, this is who I am. You know, your, your program's awesome. Left the East Coast and checked in as a second phase buds instructor, as you and I know, is the diving phase. So I needed my diving supervisor qualification. Yeah, went down to uh, the Elephant Cage, which is actually now taken down. Yeah, it's not there anymore because cool. that's where they're moving the entire uh, SEAL community, except for buds, I believe. Okay, and that's where the diving soup course was. And in the diving soup course was Dave Castro. So mm-hmm. he was working for the time already CrossFit. CrossFit was much different in 2006 than it is mm-hmm. now. They would do a seminar like every other month, which slowly built to once every, uh, you know, once every month and then twice a month and then every weekend. And then weekdays were filled too. They were doing military seminars. Yeah. He invited me to come to a seminar. I just watched, really liked it. And then uh, had developed a relationship with Greg and they needed some instructors for a military seminar. So this is back in like 06, 07, 08. So yeah. I started working on the weekends in my off time teaching at the seminars. That was my introduction. And at the same time, I was developing a better knowledge and understanding of the program itself. And I was getting paid on the weekend. So I'd work Monday through Friday and I'd go do a seminar. Uh, when it started off, it was locally Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and eventually you know, I became a permanent member of the seminar staff again on the weekends and, uh, you know, then I became Greg's pilot. Then I started managing the business relationships and all of that was ramping up as my military career was ramping down. So I had the chance to focus on that in that six month time period, you know, from the, the paperwork getting done and the results coming back. So my thought was, I was just going to continue down this path. I opened CrossFit Coronado yeah. in 2008, uh, ended up walking away from that. I think in 2010, I just didn't, you know what I mean? Again, prioritizing time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought I was going to do. So that was my plan getting out. And then a year and a half after being out, I quit 
uh, and had no plan going forward. Which no plan. Is, which is and were you flying, Greg? Then or were was, you doing the? Yeah. I was flying, Greg. I was doing business development. Uh, Greg and you know his family, your senior staff members, doing the business development, managing all the sponsorship relationships, managing all the charitable initiatives at one point in time. So and you're not traveling around doing the seminars anymore. You're doing your business was not, side no, of the house. I switched. Yeah, I switched over to doing the business side of the house and then got to a saturation point of what I was willing to tolerate, realized I wasn't happy working for that organization. So I quit and had absolutely nothing scheduled in the future. So I went zero, nothing. I went from being fully employed with benefits and a salary to nothing in the course of 24 hours. Did you decide like the night before or does it build up like over months? Like, hey, I'm not really excited about this. Slow build up. Slow build up. Slow build up. But even during that slow buildup, you weren't like, you know what I'm going to do? I think I need to start planning for the future if and when I decide to walk away from this. You were just like- That would have been the path <laughs> I recommended to people. I didn't take wow. that path. And then, you know, I look at I look at myself and I've had to kind of redefine who I am and what I do multiple times. Yeah. You know, the things that I do professionally now, um, first off, none of them were my idea. They were suggestions from other people. So pre-COVID, I was doing a lot of public speaking. But I had no idea or desire to be a public speaker. Somebody mm -hmm. came to me once and they're like, oh, SEAL, SEAL teams, right? You should come to my organization and talk about teamwork. I'm like, All right, I'll put some shit together. Yeah. And then somebody in the audience was like, hey, that was pretty good. You want to come to my organization? And it built over time. And one yeah. day somebody said, you know, perhaps a website would be a good idea. <laughs> so I built a website. The podcast. Mm -hmm. Um I was very fortunate to meet Joe, who yeah. you've met as well. And uh, the second time I was on his show, he's like, hey, man, you know, you should consider doing a podcast. I'm like, well, you know a thing or two about this. So <laughs> I'll explore it. Yeah. Uh, the skydiving and base jumping. I, I enjoyed jumping when I was in, but I wasn't able to do the type of jumping that I wanted to do. Never thought that I'd be able to make a living as an, a sponsored skydiver and base jumper, which I was able to do for almost three years. Uh, and again, so redefine myself. Um all, all the stuff that I do, it's from been from the suggestion of other people. And in, in all of those things, what I've tried to do is remember who I am and where I came from, but also move past it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't have a great architecture of what it's going to look like in front of me. I'm in a phase in my life where I'm taking opportunities if I want to, if I think it would be rewarding or enriching for me. Yeah. And for clarity for people listening, that has nothing to do with money. For me, you know, money is essential and you need to be able to do, you know, and, you know, pay for, you know, the minimum required you need for life. But I'd rather meet interesting people, do things that are enriching for me and my family, than get a paycheck that I become a slave to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't. My plans were not the best. It's not the the course of action that I would recommend for most people. But if you're willing to, if you're willing to grind, and if you're willing to put yourself out there and make mistakes and learn from them, and keep going, and if you can find things that you want to do because you want to do them for the right reasons, then I, you know, I think the sky's the limit. So what did you do that first morning? You're like, okay, uh, I just quit my job. I slept um, in. <laughs> don't tell Jocko. Hmm. Got to be up crushing 3.30. But that first day you're like, yeah, okay. And then like, what's that next thing that you did? Like you, you still have to put food on the table. You still yep. have responsibilities. Uh, you still have to live. Do you take a breath and like enjoy life for a little bit? Or were you, were you thinking like, okay, what's my next thing? I'm what's always kind of thinking about stuff. So... I had, you know, we had savings, which was good. And I knew that we could buy us probably eight months to a year on that. Yeah. And then I also started thinking about immediately downsizing, you know, and lowering that monthly requirement. So I looked yeah. at all the stuff we had at the house. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have some, you know, things, a collection of things and started getting rid of them. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I took that value and passed it on to a savings that would, you know, would buy us even more time. 
and then thought about, spent some time thinking about what did I want to do? You know, I felt like I was working for CrossFit because I had to, because I was a slave to that paycheck. And actually that realization of coming to the place where I can't do this anymore, regardless of what I'm getting paid, has been hugely powerful for me. I used to make decisions based off of money. And now it's mm. the it's the thing that I think about the least, especially when like uh, relationships with brands, they'll yeah. approach you like, hey, this is what we want you to do. And this is how much we're willing to pay. I'm like, ooh, you just you just messed up with me. Uh. You know, let's let's talk about who you guys are. Or do we have goals that are commensurate with each other? What's your vision for the future? Like, is this going to be rewarding? And then at the end of it, we can talk about the money. Uh, and there's, you know, saying no is a powerful thing. Yeah, no, I, I need to say no more often because I was in this phase where I, I'm building a business. And I thought when you're an author, you just go, you can go to the mountains, you live in a cabin, you write the book, <laughs> you send it to New York, and then you start the next one. Like, that's what I thought it was, a, like, that's what I thought an author was. It was very appealing to me because uh, I, I'm, I think I'm an introvert by nature. Um, I like being alone. I like being quiet. I like thinking. Um, and I think over time, particularly in the SEAL teams, I had to learn to be more of an extrovert um, I just by necessity. Um, but I was looking forward to just writing. But I realized very quickly that it's a business. Anything you do is essentially a business if it's making you a living. Um, and so I had to do all the things you would do in any business. If you're starting a coffee shop or you're doing, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. You have to do some budgets. You have to do advertising. You have to do marketing. You have to do social media outreach. You have to have uh, you have a plan for your brand. You have to do you have to have all these things that I never anticipated until that first book launch. Like a couple months before that first book, I was like, okay this is a business. There's some other things that I need to do here to build this out. So, um, so that's been, that's been interesting is to, to, to explore those things, look at what other guys are doing out there, other companies are doing out there in this space, yeah. whether it's a huge company like Apple or Red Bull or whatever, and seeing what they're doing. And then looking at, at you, other veterans that are starting companies and businesses and moving on in life and, and, uh, and learning from, from all of that. And then hopefully helping one another as we, as we continue to move, to move forward here. But, uh, it's definitely been, an, uh, been an experience. Um, but, being in that garage phase of a startup is how I look at I look at writing, uh, and now I'm at that stage where the garage it's it's probably trying to move on from the garage and take a breath and put in some uh, some protocols in place that make things more effective and efficient instead of saying yes to every single thing all the time because I'm in this full on sprint and I feel so fortunate that I'm being asked to yeah. do certain things. So yes, 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 yes. You get ripped into grow, pieces. Grow, 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 grow. But now I need to take a step yep. back, I think. Um, so you're right. Saying no is a very powerful tool that I need to get a lot better at. Uh, at you will using. get ripped into pieces if you say yes to everything. Yeah. And I've been there. And especially if, you know, again, money is, it, it has value, but at the end of your life, it's going to be valueless because it's not going to go anywhere with you. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you're at that phase where, you know, right after leaving CrossFit, I had to say yes to everything because I was trying to replace and figure out who I was and what I was going to look like economically. You're exhausted. It's, it is you're exhausting. Fried. And I'm not saying yes to things um, uh, on the money side of the house. Most things I say yes to have nothing to do with money and I'm not paid for them. Um, but I do it uh, either as a, as a thank you or uh, as a way to build the readership or some, you know, that that's why. I, or, or I just feel bad or something. I just want to be nice, you know, <laughs> like I, I, so, for whatever reason, but there, there's no, yeah. there's not dollars attached to any of them, uh, directly anyway. Um, but I, but I need to get so much better at, at saying no, I have a very hard time doing that. Uh, you know what I found when it comes to saying no, it actually leads to more opportunities. Yeah. And I have no explanation for why that is. Um, but I've said no to some people into some brands where they literally were just like why, why? How, how how could you, you how say can you say no to us 
It's like, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not interested. And That's then awesome. because I said no, you know, let's say it was an, they wanted something or an obligation mm -hmm. or a time period, something even more amazing came up during that exact same yeah. time period that was empowering and enriching to me. And I went down that path and yeah, it's, it, it's one of the hardest things for me to do and one of the most powerful things that I'm learning to do more consistently. Yeah, that's, yeah, I need to, I'll, I'll take that lesson and write that down. But I've known for years I need to get better at doing that. It's just, oh, yeah, man, it's crazy. Um, and you gloss over a little bit about the pilot piece. So I think people are like, wait, he, can, he flies? How did, where did that come into play? So when I left the East Coast and I came to the West Coast to be a second phase instructor, they were messing around with getting rid of winter hell week for a year. So there was this massive gap in classes going from first to second phase. Of course, they they scuttled that idea because it's idiotic. I remember when that became a, a, a source of discussion and contention. Yeah. And because they, they wanted more people to make it through. And they're Correct. like, wait a sec, way more people make it through in the summer. Let's just have summer hell weeks. Yeah. And first, I would do the opposite. I want only winter hell weeks. Well, and, you, and the reality is you can't do either of those yeah. because the instructor staff can't tolerate that. And then you have this yeah. massive block of time that's off. It's right. just not efficient. So that they messed with it. So they shut down a winter hell week for a cycle, which netted me like two and a half, three months. And we had just moved to San Diego. We were living out in Santee, which is a suburb out on the east side of uh, San Diego. And I was driving home by Gillespie Field and I just watched this little Cessna, probably 152, looking like it's about to fall out of the sky because there was a student pilot in it. And I was like, that looks interesting. So I made a left and I went in there. And I'm like, I'm here to to fly aircraft. And I got, <laughs> I started on the path of getting my private pilot's license. And then that's, I got like, I got my license and then maybe flew a little bit more than that, 60, 80 hours total. And didn't fly anymore because the training kicked up and I just kind of shelved it. But mm -hmm. so I had my private pilot license. Greg was living in, he, you know, the HQ was in Santa Cruz, but he had a house in Prescott, Arizona. And he would go, you know, there's this triangle of Prescott, Santa Cruz, San Diego. Not the, they're not from a, as the crow flies yeah. very far, well, I mean, they're a couple hundred miles, but the road, it, like you're going to go north and then east and then west. And then, you know what I mean? So it takes eight, nine, 10, half a day sometimes. And he called me up one day. He's like, hey, you have your pilot license, right? Like, I'm tired of doing this driving thing. So get back on the train. Uh, we're going to get an aircraft and, you know, start, start learning to fly again. So I basically had to start over because it had been a few years. And I got uh, recurrent on my private pilot license. Then I got my instrument rating. Then I got, I think my, it was either my multi-engine rating or my commercial uh, rating. They were pretty close. Then I got type rated in a Gulfstream G4. Then I got type rated in a Citation 525S, which means a single pilot uh, Citation Series aircraft. And then in that, uh, in that check ride for that in the simulator, I got my ATP, which is Airline Transportation Pilot License. So the same license that the, major uh, airline pilots have. And I have about 3,500 hours of flight time. I haven't flown in a couple of years, so I'm not current. But pilot's license are good for life. You know, the currency is not. I'd have to go back through all of it. But it was cool, and I was able to do that quickly because I just went from one to the next to the next to the next to the next to the next. Yeah. Shooting instrument approaches all the time. Anytime there'd be cloudy or overcast in San Diego, I'd go get the plane. I'd go shoot approaches. Um, you know, I was able to fly a Gulfstream from everywhere from Turks and Caicos to... Hawaii, you know, uh, Mexico, flying celebrities around, some flights in the Citation as well. It was really cool. It was a cool experience. That is crazy. Uh, close calls type things? Not really. Really? I mean, you're never outside of radio contact. Um, the avionics and the ability of the aircraft from an electronic perspective, like your situational awareness, you know, they had like 3D modeling of the terrain so you can see what you're flying over. I had a, a forward-looking infrared camera on the plane that Greg 
bought for CrossFit. So I could see down the runway to see if there was an airplane on it or an animal. Like it was, it's pretty crazy, man. Like, and, and you're in positive control of air traffic control at all times. What does that mean? ATC, you're talking to them on the radios. They're okay. coordinating. You know, it's essentially, if you look at aviation charts and you're not familiar with aviation, you're like, what is yeah. this? It's freeways and highways in the sky. Okay. And it's vertically based as opposed to, you know, uh -huh. horizontally to begin with. You have to climb an altitude and then you get on these pre-established paths and you're flying over these markers and, you know, it's they, the air traffic control is separating both uh, horizontally and vertically. You're always talking to them on the radio from the second you turn the airplane on until you turn it back off. That is wild. Do you do any more of that or is that a, a, a chapter that's passed? I don't know. I enjoyed flying, but it's one of those things where if you're going to do it, you need to do it. You it seems be, like one you have to be committed to. You got to be current <laughs> and you have to be competent. And again, knowing your limitations. Uh, controlled mm -hmm. flight into terrain, CFIT is what they call it, is like the number one killer. Okay. Pilots that are totally, uh, you know, not pilots, airplanes that are functioning completely properly with pilots that fly them directly into static objects, mostly mountains. Wow. Um, why? Not knowing their limitations or thinking they're current and competent when they're not. Yeah, that seemed to be one that you'd want to uh, not have a ton of other things going on. Uh, you'd want to prioritize that one if you're a pilot. Yeah. Jeez. And then uh, and then jumping, when was the last time you did a- uh, a Skydive? Yeah. I don't know. Or a base jump. Base jump. I haven't jumped, base jumped in a couple of years. That's another one where, you know, currency and competency matters. The consequences are extremely high and the amount of time you have to make decisions is generally extremely short. So for me, I'm either both feet in the pond with that and you and you get current and competent leading towards the base jumping world by skydiving a ton and mm. being under canopy and, you know, flying your canopy, being able to determine your, you know, uh, malfunctions with your canopy, uh, you know, landing pattern, flight characteristics, all that stuff. And then, the, you know, there's the additional flying of the wingsuit. I don't have the ability to really do it up here because there's no drop zones and I'm either going to do it or I'm not and right. I'm not willing to risk my life for pictures and video so you, got, all, you have those like it seems you get some good pictures you got some good video you have yeah. still have the world record on the thing no it was uh it was uh kyle lobpreeze i believe is the man who uh has the horizontal distance right he but i think he beat it by about a quarter of a mile or so he was a marine corps helicopter pilot i think huh. um same thing i think he was actually doing it to uh raise awareness for a cause as well and i have no desire to go back up and try to yeah. reclaim like so I enjoyed it. I still have all my gear. I could throw, I mean, I have enough jumps now that I could throw a parachute on. I have a variety of sizes. I could throw a docile parachute on and be totally fine. Uh, but why, you know, why risk it? Yeah, no, I'm with you. That My last jump was in the military and I have no desire to, to jump good. Yeah. I figured like, I'm, it, I'm good. Well, it's, it's like anything else in the military that we were exposed to. Some people just got bitten by the mm -hmm. rock climbing bug. Yeah. I, I loved jumping. So I got yeah. bitten by that. And now I'm in a phase of my life where you know, I got bit by the jujitsu bug. Yeah. So I'm kind of diving deep into that. And it fills that physical, mental challenge slash release that you get from that stuff. So far less consequential from a end of life perspective. Yeah. So, you know, why not do that? Seriously, crazy, crazy. So when you look back then at your time in the teams and people have heard you talk on before on this podcast with Joe, that sort of thing, um, is getting wounded that, is that, the thing you look back on and is the most impactful thing that happened to you or that you were involved with because um, it set you on a, a different path. Yeah. Uh, That's why on. it was impactful. Mm -hmm. It You know, in the moment when it happens, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And then in the weeks and months and maybe even a few years after, 
you know, struggling back and trying to get yourself back to a place that you were before, which the realization you come to for most, I think, is you'll never truly get back to that place, but you're still going to be okay. Like your quality of life can be high. I viewed it as very negative and now I view it as very positive. All the things, you know, you and I would not be sitting here having this conversation had I not gotten shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, likely. I mean, that's a hypothesis, obviously. But, you know, wouldn't have probably found CrossFit, at least the way that I did, and mm-hmm. had the time to interface with that organization when it was younger and grow with that organization. Um, you know, would I have been able to get out when I did and pursue skydiving and base jumping, which is actually how I met Joe through a mutual friend of uh, ours, Tate Fletcher, who heard about that uh, jump uh, and was able to meet him. And he's like, hey, man, it, like this is awesome what you're trying to do, raise money for the SEAL Foundation. He's the one who introduced me to Joe. Nice. Would that have happened? Probably not. The public speaking, I would have had time to develop that skill, which is what it is. It's an mm. art form. Publicly presenting is an art form. Yeah. Uh, and it's more difficult, I think, than people realize. Like you get there's that presentation, like you get up and you present and you get off, and it's you know, you have that kind of just like you, the letdown for a little bit. It's it's pretty exhausting because you want to be is. on. You want to provide yeah. the service A that you're being paid to provide, but you want it to be important and impactful. I don't know if any of those things would have happened had I not gotten hurt. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, there's another way to look at it too. You know, Extortion 17 was Gold Squadron, mm-hmm. my troop that I was in. Well, you know, I, there's a chance that I would have been down at, you know, Green Team doing an instructor tour there, have gone and done something else. And there's also a chance yeah. I'd have been on that helicopter. Yeah. So it reshifted the way I view the world, my military career, myself, and it got me thinking about what other options are there. So incredibly beneficial, but I didn't feel that way in the moment. Yeah. And when that, that was, it was a night, night when you got shot. Yep. Yeah, on the border between Baghdad and Fallujah. Yeah, and it was, it was on the way in or was on the way out? Of- uh, we were on the way in. We had just isolated and contained the compound that we were going to be going after. And I was over the wall, waited till a couple other people came over and we were approaching our breach point. And is that? And then you guys got lit up from there? Oh, we got lit up. We got lit the fuck up. And were you the only one that got? <laughs> no, shot? there were eight people that were injured on target that night. Some from an internal gunfight, some from an external gunfight. And then uh, there was a blue on blue with an explosive charge. Uh, that uh, injured some other people as well. Yeah. And yours was outside? I was outside in the courtyard. And it's 762? 762 from about 15 feet away. 15 feet away. Yeah. 762 by 39. Yeah. Dang. It felt and, like about a 762 by 104, but... Yeah. Or like a 17 or, you know, 176.2. <laughs> Did you know right away? Oh, yeah. There was no doubt about what it was. What it was? Like we were, I didn't know the caliber of the round, but but you weren't like, oh, it wasn't it wasn't a breach. It wasn't like, hey, I got hit with something else. It was no. like one hundred percent. I got hit with a bullet. One hundred percent. Yep. And uh, did you hear it? Did you? Yes, and it's the only it's the only time in my career I get asked about this. You know that, um, and this I think comes from Hollywood. The sensation of slowing time. Mm-hmm. I've only experienced it one time, and it was that transitional period from when I got hit and as I was being spun towards the person that shot at me. And then I was falling and hitting the ground and sliding under a car. Um, the gunshots were slower and then they, it rapidly picked that back up to a normal pace. But it's the only sensation I've had of that slowing time. And maybe that, yeah. maybe it happens to other people, but for me, that's it. That's it. In my 17 year career and the, all the deployments I did, that's the only time I've had that sensation. Gee, I mean, did you get hit once? I got hit once and then the second round hit my belt and traveled about six inches down my belt, burning it. And the copper jacket of the round is still actually uh, melted to the belt. No way. Yep. Because it spun me towards the shooter. Dang, your belt. So it's- uh, No, the bullet impacting me spun me toward, and then the uh-huh. second round hit the belt as I was spinning and traveled down my belt. It would have, and if I think if it would have gone in, it would have shattered my pelvis and I would have been dead probably in about five minutes. 
So under the body armor. It was under the body armor for sure. It's the belt. Yep. Travels down the belt. So yep. is it one of those old, you know, the belts that we always used to wear? It's a Blackhawk belt. Nice. Yeah. And so the same one, nylon belt. 100%. And it hit, it hit that one. So people that know the Blackhawk belt, like these, the Riggers belt, I yep. think we call them. Um, the metal's not, there's not that much metal there. It didn't hit the metal. It only hit and traveled down the fabric. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's how close it was. So if it had been a, I would say two inches to shooters left, my right. Uh, yeah, it, it would have just shattered my pelvis, girl. Dude. So, so you get spun, you drop, you roll into the car because you know you've. Been I didn't hit. even roll. I pushed off as it hit me, and I, it, it just I kind of just the momentum took me underneath the vehicle. Dang! And then other guys are there in like a train and a full, stack. Full Armageddon forward. from oh. over the wall into the building. Guys in the courtyard. I ended up getting drugged by our friend, you know, Sean Evangelista, who owns Thirty Seconds Out, an amazing company. He's a fantastic human being. Drug me around the corner, <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Move your hand! I got to cut your pants." I'm like, "Direct pressure, bro." I went to the <laughs> medical course. It's like, "Move your hand!" I'm like, "No, <laughs> no way!" So you're holding it. I'm holding. That's the only thing I, I could do. He cuts. He's like, "You're gonna be fine." I'm like, "Don't fucking lie to me." <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's insane. And so from there, so other th you're hearing gunshots. Yeah. Guys are inside. There's a firefight inside. Yeah. Breaching charges going off. Yeah. Like, and you're just and you're like not knowing what your status is really. Correct. Because it's night. Nods on. Yep. Chaos. Radio. All the rest of it. Does Sean stay with you? No. So I got drug out of the courtyard eventually. Like I said, there were some significant injuries on target that night. Uh, we had the 160th guys there. So some guys got stuffed on Little Birds. Uh, and I actually got put in the back of a Bradley fighting vehicle, driven to the green zone. A lot of us met up in the hospital there, but I didn't see the guys again until months later when they came back off deployment. Once I got into that Bradley, I was in Baghdad for probably a day. Got bumped over to Balad where they put me on uh, you know, the bird to go to Germany. Sent to Germany. Uh, with two other guys that we shared a hospital bedroom with. And then I got on a Delta flight and got home within, you know, 36 hours. Did they throw you on the Bradley because that was like just there and they got you in there or did they prioritize do the They prioritized the other guys on the helicopters, uh, put me on the Bradley because they were there as our blocking position, uh -huh. drove me to the green zone. And it just, they were, they're like, okay, this is how many people we have that are injured. Like, let's get some assets in here and we'll triage as we are taught to. Uh -huh. um, and that's, I mean, that's what they did. We all met back at the hospital. Did they keep a, uh, a medic from your team with you or did they, somebody from QRF take over? They passed me over to, uh, I don't know what it would be. He wasn't an 18 Delta, but just a medic in the army who was in the back okay. of the Bradley with me. But there was nothing they could really do. I mean, I had a pressure dressing on my leg. It was uh, just low enough down on my leg where they could wrap it like high up in my groin and like there was nothing else for them to do. Did you know that one that hit your belt? Like, did you know that the no, belt I had saved no you right idea. Away? I had no idea until I got my gear back months later. No way. Yeah. So you thought you just got hit once until months later. Yeah. And the one that, like, it didn't penetrate into my body at all. It just yeah, traveled yeah. down my belt. Yeah, I didn't know until months later. That is insane. So army takes you in. This medic, army medic is in there. Essentially, just holding pressure until they get you. To he wasn't even holding zone. pressure. He wanted to, he wanted to start a, uh, an IV bag on me. So he got the bag, uh... Well, he didn't get the bag all set up. He pulled out a 14-gauge needle, which for people who don't know what that looks like, it's the <laughs> diameter of this cup right here. It's like you're staring down the barrel of a shotgun. Jabs it in, gets the stick, and, the then goes, stick. and then goes, ooh, I didn't set the bag up. Pulls it back out oh. to set the bag up. And I just, I was like, we're done here. Yeah. I'm fine. I thought we weren't doing that at that point. It, it was early. It's 2005, man. I thought still at that point, we were just stuffing and tourniquets and get you somewhere where oh, they know what they're doing. This was... Uh, even before tour tourniquets became the soup de jour. Because uh, remember in training, it was 
always Ivy, Ivy, yeah. Ivy, you know, at night. It's not on a bad night, idea. Boom, boom. You know, it's not a bad idea to get that line in so you can push fluids or medicine, but I'm not going to let somebody stick me twice with a 14 <laughs> gauge. That is unacceptable. Uh, um, and the kid, you could tell he was, he was pretty rattled by the whole going on. I'm just like, hey man, I'm fine. Like, we'll take care of this. The well, you're also in the back of a Bradley. It's probably, you yeah. know, moving. It's not, if those have been in the back of a Bradley, it's not like the smoothest ride. Um, and you're trying to get a stick at night yeah. with a wounded guy and all that stress and chaos, like, it's like, you know, we're good. You you know, put that down as a victory. You got the stick, but we're moving on. Wow. So yeah. you get there. So you're, you think you're losing blood. Do you think that, uh, that you're hit more, uh, seriously than you are? Do you like, what is it? What's in your head? Right. Are you like, Hey, I'm good. We got some, we got some pressure bandages on this. It's, it's good. Or you're like, I didn't think I was going to die at that point, but yeah. I didn't know how bad it was. Yeah. I couldn't move my left leg. It felt like, um, getting smashed in the funny bone all the way from my hip down. I couldn't move my foot. So I didn't, I didn't understand the severity of the damage. It wasn't until later that I, um, it was determined that the round that did go into my hip interacted with my sciatic nerve somehow, whether it be a piece of the metal clipped it or, you know, the shock wave, the concussive waves. If you look at the side of ballistic gel, you can see it traveling through. Short-circuited it. Nobody knows. Uh, either way, though, it fried my sciatic nerve. So, so you're the one that hit your belt did that? No, the one that entered my body okay. did. Okay. Uh, and... Yeah, there's not a lot you can do for nerves. So it grows back very slowly. I had to deal with foot drop for almost two years. But yeah, on the, on the, I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to die. I just didn't know the severity of the injury. Yeah. I felt like my bones had been broken. Um, but then come to find out later on, it, that was mostly just the nerve damage and pain. No kidding. So you get there, green zone, you're off to Balad, you're off to Germany. Um, command's dealing with all the, the stuff at home. Yep. And uh, and then you eventually make it back to, to Old Vaughn Beach. Start the started the rehab. Walter Reed, did you go to Walter Reed? Right? No, no, I never went to Walter Reed. I got on a Delta so flight. Germany, in Germany. Took, that's like the main what what they did for you was in Germany. Correct. Ah. Then I started the rehab at the command, and like I said, that's what led uh, led me to finding CrossFit. Dang. Was having excess time and not getting a ton of actual rehab getting done because they just didn't know what to do. And again, yeah. I, and I don't say that negatively against the people who were in charge of caring for me. It's just it was earlier on, and you know they had less tools in their toolbox. Dang, that is wild, and. uh Man, and the other one. So obviously, that sets you on the path that you are on today. You yep. look back on it as a positive. Um, when you look back at some of those other other things, so for those who haven't listened to to Cleared Hot with you and Jessica Lynch, um, like that's that's pretty amazing to sit down with her. And that was her awesome on your podcast, and she'd never met anybody that was. She on had that never mission. talked to anybody. It was on the other side of the coin. Wow, which is crazy. Yeah. So for those who remember Jessica Lynch, like that that was a big deal when that happened. And, uh, it was blown out of proportion, as a lot of military operations are. Yeah. Uh, we did the best that we could. The intelligence that we had going in there was pretty gnarly as, as far as what we were likely going to encounter. Fortunately, they had moved out the day before. Um, she was in really bad shape. We were able to get her out of there. Um, it seems like the doctors had, in fact, tried to return her to U.S. forces, but they were driving around in an ambulance, which the Fedayeen fighters were yeah. using to stage assaults. So probably not the best choice of a vehicle. They were shot at. Jeez. So they took her back. Uh, you know, we went in and got her, and I'm glad that we did. She was tore up. We got her to a JMAO C-130 in a desert landing strip, so she right into the hands of doctors, and she began, you know, her travel out of there. And yeah, I mean, it, it got blown out of proportion. I remember they were talking about they wanted to give her the Medal of Honor because the first um, reports were, you know, she fought to the last bullet in her magazine, and the reality is she got knocked unconscious in the vehicle. Yeah. You know, they were turned they turned where they shouldn't have turned into a city that they shouldn't have gone into. And we're on the receiving end of a horrendous ambush. She was lucky to have survived. Many of her friends and comrades did not. Um, 
But sometimes I just wish, you know, they'd give it a little bit of time for the intelligence to yeah. come out, the information to come out before blowing it, because it's not fair to her either. Right. You know, she doesn't deserve to have that burden put on her. She's yeah. like, no, that's not what happened. Stop using me as this figurehead of something that I'm not. Sure. Yeah. She's not the she's not the only one that that, that has happened, happened to over to the years. Um, but when you um, when you went in on that mission, you guys took didn't you take some rounds on the way in? Uh, externally, yeah, uh, there was nothing inside of the hospital. In the hospital, it was right. more the ground force that yeah. was uh, that took some rounds on the way and driving in. The yeah. hospital was largely abandoned. Yeah, you had a solid run. You had a solid run there for a while. It was good. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the javelin at the end. Yeah, I mean that's the best. And I pulled out of your training to go to Karzai. Pulled out at the end of Green Team. They needed people for the tail end of the Karzai detail. So it was the first time I went to Afghanistan. Came back from that. Started working for the initial invasion of Iraq, and then just bounced back and forth for years. Dang. So that's a pretty solid run. Yeah. And then took that period uh, to rehab and recover as a BUDS instructor. Got my commission there in 2010. Went to SEAL Team 3. Was gone most of the year of 2010 uh, in Afghanistan, in Nabahar province, which is in the middle of absolutely fucking nowhere. Rocking the javelin. Rocking the javelin, shooting anti-tank uh, missiles at people who were <laughs> shooting at us from a distance they thought they were safe. Uh -huh. They thought that, oh, yeah, I know the distance of these Americans and their weapons. Yeah, Google javelin, buddy. Yeah. Surprise cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. So then now you make this this move out. You've done CrossFit. You're, uh, uh, you said, now I'm moving on from CrossFit. <laughs> and yeah. You wake up with no plan, uh, <laughs> which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're, you're moving forward. And now, now you're a thought leader. I am not a thought leader. Jocko is a thought leader point, and an innovator. Yeah, yeah, he hates that term just as much as I do. <laughs> this is why I I'm not it. a thought leader. I'm not a you know public figure. Public <sighs> figure. You have a you have a public profile now where people uh, look up to you. Um, I think a lot of people like I can imagine when we're growing up, if we had access to talk to a seal or to listen to a seal talk or someone that had been a seal I would have in been Vietnam. All over. Yeah, uh, and, and I recognize that. Like I don't look at myself as a public figure. Uh, I was at breakfast here the other day. And I handed over my card and the guy goes, hey, are you that podcast guy? My son absolutely loves your show. And for me, those are the most awkward moments. I, I don't do well in that situation. You know, because the other lady there's like, oh, is he a celebrity? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, it came, I was like, I'm like, no, no, I am not a celebrity. So the guy ended up talking to me. He wanted to get a picture. He ended up talking to me for like 20 minutes, which I have no problem with either of those things. But that's not what I consider myself to be. Yeah. But I am cognizant of the fact that what you just said, if we had had access to people like you and I when we were younger, I would have voraciously pursued every avenue I could to communicate mm -hmm. with them, listen to what they have to say. So I pay attention to that, but I don't under any circumstances or ever think of myself as a public figure. I just can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. But you do have people looking up to you as a role model like this kid. And I remember, and I, and like I said, I stay, I stay aware of that. And I, tr and so I, um, I try to, present the best example that I can while also being completely and utterly honest about the fact that I'm full of flaws as all human beings are. I don't have the answers to a lot of things. I'm an expert at absolutely nothing. But if you ask me for my advice, I, I will give you my advice and preface it as that. This is what I think based off of my experience that I've had in my life. Use with caution. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful, especially for these kids that need, you know, you don't like the term uh, role model. You don't like the term Thought leader. Um, I'm not a thought leader. You know, you know, know. You've known me for a long time. I am a moron. <laughs> I didn't say it. 
No, just kidding. You're you're a still bro. accurate though. You are. It is not accurate. I mean, look at look at <laughs> look at that time in the military. Not everybody gets out and sets world record base jumping, skydiving records it was, for charity. I was laying in an air mattress and then jumps off cliffs and does all sorts. Yeah. Learns to fly and like that's it's insane. Uh, but it's great and it's and it's also wonderful in that the people that we studied growing up first there were no names because they were just attached to uh, a magazine article a one chapter in a book a video that didn't have any names on it that showed some vietnam stuff and showed yeah. some guys then swimming and running an obstacle course okay then we move into the 90s or late 80s 90s and now we have a couple books with names attached now we have of course Mercinka, we have uh james patches watson your point man we have those yeah. sorts of things from from vietnam uh, so now we have a name attached to it so there's no platform. All you have is that that book. And maybe if you can track down a magazine article interview with them somewhere, possibly. But but that's it. Now we move up to, to today and we're having this conversation. Yeah. Which is, so it's, it's, it's a, probably a almost information landscape. overload. It is. I, there's a lot of information overload, I think. So I, I wonder what it would have been like to go into Buzz with all the information that is out there today. Like I knew it was hard. I'd seen videos of the obstacle course. Mm. I knew there was a big rope I had to climb and, a, yeah. and all that sort of thing. And I knew that there was 80% attrition. That was the attraction. Um, and let's go. Uh, but I didn't know it was going to happen that first night of Hell Week. I didn't know it was going to happen that second night of Hell Week. I didn't you can know it was find happen that all third. that stuff online. I'm sure, it's almost all. a day to day. I'm sure it's all there. And you know, and I don't know if that's a benefit or a detractor. Yeah, I don't think I, I like having that. The mystery was cool. Like the mystery was cool. Yeah. Like hey, I'm going into this thing uh, based on what information I could gather at the time, which was as much as you could possibly gather. I think because I was in tune with reading and research and all that sort of thing. Because my mom was a librarian, uh, so I went in with about as much information as you could go into uh, in 1996, 97. But today, you can't possibly filter in all the information. You can't listen to all the podcasts. You can't read all the books. You can't read all the magazine articles. There is no possible way to get all that information and internalize it and then use it to propel yourself forward and prepare. Uh, you have to make choices. You have to figure yeah. out which ones you're going to listen to, which book you're going to read, which magazine article you're going to read, and then what lessons you're going to take from those to apply going forward. And you get to choose wisely or poorly. I think I would prefer to go into Bud specifically not knowing every evolution because then there's like this, this thought of, okay, I'm going to get through this, but oh, but then I have to do this. I'd rather just focus on what I'm doing and whatever's next is next. And it's kind of, it's kind of cool that it also makes it, you're part of that that club, you make it through. And now I have something in common with someone that went through in 1968, 1978, 1988, 1992. Like I have something in common with these people that other people don't know. Yeah. Like it's not out there. Like if you asked anybody, I don't know, let's say 1995, hey, what happens on the third day of Hell Week? I don't know. Now you can ask that person and they can Google it and find out. Yeah. But before that was just between us, that guy <laughs> in 1978, that yeah. guy in 1982, like we had something in common that bonded us together and it still does, but other people know about it. You can go, you can Google it and you can find out and like, okay, they, yeah. they froze and a bunch of people quit on this night and then this. But I don't know if that prepares there. you for doing it. Like I said, I think you could prepack your mind where you're thinking about the next more than you're thinking about the now. Oh yeah. Big time. Big yeah. time. And that's uh, that's what gets most people. Is yeah, they get overwhelmed. About that next one. I can't uh -huh. be this cold for this long. And then as my role as the instructor, it's like, I'm going to have you so cold. I know. For longer than you've ever been in your life. I don't want to do it. I'm like, perfect. Get out of here. Yeah. No, there's <laughs> definitely something to uh, yeah. to that that unknown and to that anticipation. And then the instructors can get to use that as yeah. well. So it's, yeah, it's a different dynamic today. It's a little, I'm glad we went through when we went through that we knew just enough to, uh, to draw us to it because it was difficult, but not enough to be able to know, oh, I know what's going to happen 
on this day. Okay, I know Agreed. we're going to get this rest here. Oh, I know what, what time on Friday we're going to get quote unquote secured from this thing. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It, uh, but it also might make it more difficult because you're like, oh, I can't possibly make it to Thursday. I know exactly what's happening on Wednesday night, on Thursday day, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. Uh, I can't do that. You know, rather we didn't know. Yeah. Which is kind of, you get the information from the class ahead of you a little bit, little bits of intel from the class right ahead of you, but not much. I didn't share too much. I don't and remember Oftentimes much. the intel was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> not all intel uh, is good intel, people. That's a good point. To include what you can find on the internet. <laughs> good point. Yeah. I haven't looked. I haven't looked. I'm just assuming there's so much out there on this. So I have, I have no idea. But uh, but yeah, it is interesting now to step into to this space and you know me doing this. Like the first time I listened to your podcast was when I was packing up in San Diego to move to Park City. And uh, it was your second one. It's with Josh, Josh Bridges. Bridges. Yeah, yeah. Shortest seal ever <laughs> known to be a seal. Yeah. So I listened to that one. I thought it was your first one at the time, but it was your second. Uh, so I'm listening to that. And I'm like, oh, this podcasting thing, you know, interesting. Um, and then it's, you know, other people start having having these podcasts and interactions and, and that sort of thing. But I get to watch it. I get to watch your transition. I get to watch other people's transitions that might not be as as positive or have worked out as well because they don't yeah. turn that chapter and they live in that past, particularly some of those guys that we came in to the deal teams with in the in the late 90s. They'd it's been rough. there from the late 80s into the 90s and um, they didn't leave the most, live the most healthy lifestyles. In or out of the military. Yep. It actually and, ended up killing them on, I mean, yep. we were going down the list yesterday of mm-hmm. half dozen guys we know that just, they. I mean, let's be honest too. I mean, the SEAL community is... Uh, you work hard and you play hard. It was part of the culture. Um, and if you can't ever put that down or you have the type of personality where that gets its hooks into you, mm-hmm. it's going to be dangerous. Especially if you geographically isolate yourself as one of the individuals who died in the state, yeah. you know, east of where we are, isolate and drink. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, you know? drank himself to death right out here. Yeah. But uh, but it's tough and you see it, it happening. You see people that can't leave that behind and use it as a foundation from which to build. So it's always a part of us. Uh, and But- it's it's a part. It's not all. It's part of a foundation. Uh, and no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be buds. It doesn't have to be the military. It can be anything. Uh, but using whatever it is as a foundation from which to build. Yeah. And it can be uh, a, a, a negative negative experiences that you've taken lessons from as you as you move forward. Um, but if you live back there in that foundation, guess what? You're not building that rest of that structure. You're living back there in that foundation, like mired in that cement and you can't move on. And I saw that with a lot of people, especially as I was getting out when I started to take a breath, look around, realize I'm not taking guys down range anymore yeah. and notice people transitioning and having a tough time with that transition. So I think for these people that are watching you and listening to you and have been for a while uh, that are going into the SEAL teams, well, they're also realizing that there's also this next thing because we didn't know about that next thing. I never focused on we it. We never yeah. knew about that next thing. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to write novels after the SEAL teams. Um, but for people coming in, they're focused on this. And hey, what does that guy do that gets out at 25 years in 1999 or 2002 uh, that has been in the teams for 25 years, 30 years, and they can't leave it behind. Yeah. You can't build from well, we got to see that but now people are seeing you they're seeing Jocko they're seeing all these people that have moved on and built from this foundation uh, and turned turn the page uh, in a positive way and are moving the ball forward there's still a lot of struggle in that though too it's easy to look at people at and you, you it's one of the reasons I hate Instagram it's all about the wave tops and you don't see the valleys um, you know I'm three and a half years I'm probably four years this year into hosting the podcast there's a lot of work there's a lot of mistake there's a lot of errors there's a lot of hardship in the public speaking of 
A, even getting hired to do so, and you know, B, trying to figure out what message you want to put out there, then see how do you deliver it in an appropriate manner. And then you have successes and you have failures. So it's, you know, the career field that we came from is amazing, but don't think it's a, some magic bullet that's going to launch you into the future without struggle. You're going to have struggle for the rest of your life. That's I think the career field we came from prepares you and gives you tools to deal with it well, Yeah, but they're never going to go away. Yeah. And, but, and I do see those people that can't, either can't do it or won't do it. Um, and, and I think, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not just the military. It's anything in life that like you're going to, there's going to be struggle. That's what yep. life is about. Don't expect it. There should be. Uh, I think it's essential. That's where the, the things that I have struggled for the most in my life are the ones that I value the most. Yeah. The things that have came to me the easiest or were given to me for free. I mean, how much value do you really put in those things? Yeah. No. And you, and like we, the first podcast we did, was uh, 2018 before my first book came out and you invited me on. Yeah, and, you were uh, clicking your pen. Someone said, I don't think I was clicking the pen, oh. but it's possible. It's oh. possible. Let me just people, tell you, I'll send you an People will tell you, won't they? Oh, yes, they will. They like to do that. Like someone, at my first podcast launched yesterday and people, I saw some things on there like, I couldn't hear you move the microphone close. Okay. All of this will come I, in time. Trust me. You know what's a fun one is when they when you record a podcast and you forgot to turn the microphones on. Oh. That's that's a tougher one to correct than moving it closer to your face because you can yeah. fix that in the post software. Oh, that's tough. That is tough. It's not awesome. No, no, but it's uh, but we did it remote. Yeah, uh, on the computer in my office, and you were up, uh, you were somewhere else, and then I think it was next up here time, in Montana, yeah. yeah, and then next time I came up and we went to the house, and you had a uh, at the kitchen table. Yep. So set it up on the kitchen table, and and uh, put a I think we put a European mount on the table and did it. We there. did. We yeah. put them all. We put the deer head in the chair. We had all the European mounts laid out on the table. <laughs> people, people mentioned that I think in it was comments. George. Yeah, George. You know, George the deer was sitting in the table. Sitting it was just table. like, yeah, there you go. There he is. Is he, yeah. in, is he in the new podcast studio? He's up on the wall now. Nice. I actually hung the mounts okay. in the way that it's supposed to be. <laughs> nice. It, it had just showed up. Now, I remember we pulled all those euros and put them on the table. Yeah, there was a few on there. People yeah. commented about that. So we had, uh, so that was the second one. And this is our our third time getting together here. Yep. Um, and now it's an actual studio. Student. And we just did your podcast um, and talked about how the, the next step. There'll be you. another studio. And I slowly and incrementally, you know, I started off with a very simple system to record stuff. And then, People said, hey, you should do video. So I got a camera. And then people said, well, we did, you know, and I was looking at what people were doing um, in the multiple cameras, looking at being able to focus on the person that's speaking. So got very low end cameras to try to figure it out. And then it started working well and getting good feedback. So I get slightly higher end cameras and I'm getting ready to upgrade them one more time um, to something that will allow me to have the guy who edits the video now to come in live and actually edit in real time. So it won't save us any time, but as soon as the episode is over, you can export it and, you know, do something with it. So is that how Joe does it? It's so fast. Like it's so fast. Like he does it and it can go out that day or the next day. I don't know exactly how Jamie does his, but he is doing the camera switching live. Oh, live. And you okay. can do it in post as oh, well. You can load this software up, yeah. sync up the video, and you can do the editing, or you can sit in the room and do it. It just ah. allows him to be able to upload it uh much more expeditiously. Yeah. No, he's got some good lessons, lessons learned on that. So yeah. um, no, that's fantastic. And then would you ever consider, uh, has anybody asked you about writing? All the time. Yeah. Uh, and my answer is, I don't think I'll ever see it happen because here would be the first chapter of the book or the intro. So there I was doing something that many people have done before me. Stop it. But this, like, what, there's nothing that I did in my career that was extraordinary. Maybe not that hasn't been maybe, written about. Maybe it's uh, this next phase. I don't know. Let's see. It. Well, I got to make it through this phase first and figure out what the hell this phase <laughs> actually is. But, and here's the thing. I struggle, you and I will always be known as SEALs, period. And I've come to grips with that. 
At some point in a conversation when we are introduced to people, and this happens up to including last night, it's, oh, hey, this is, this is Jack Carr. Um, and then if you, you know, you'll, they'll either somebody will say directly, oh, yeah, he used to be a Navy SEAL. Or as you leave the conversation, you'll hear people whispering, oh, that's the guy who used to be a SEAL. So it's like, okay, that's part of who we are. If I write a book, it will go in the SEAL category, which is so incredibly full of other people who have written books. I mean, you know, you're a needle in a stack of needles. Yeah. What if you differentiate and you're writing about this uh, this transition piece or you're writing about uh, resiliency or podcasting or, uh, you know, this journey post? You know, Maybe. You but you know what the you know what they're going to want to see on the cover? Ex Navy Seal Andy <laughs> Stomp and how to transition to your next phase of life. Like, yeah, just got to put some thought into that. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, there. I was doing things that so many people had done before me, and here I am writing about it as if I was unique. It's like, dude, I was so incredibly average inside yeah, of our well, cohort. You did some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, but a lot of people did cool stuff too, did cool and stuff, did stuff man. that makes the stuff I did that's like. Pfft, That'll always be the case. Yeah, yeah, there's always somebody out there that's done some amazing things, especially going back in history and seeing what some of these guys did. Vietnam, Korea, World War II, oh. prior, that gave us the opportunity to be on that beach in California in 1997, getting yelled at and doing push-ups. Yes. Like, that is also something that I thought about was, and to put it in perspective, is that everything that was sacrificed from the inception of this country up until today that allowed me the freedom to make the decisions that I made to get to that place on that beach in sunny Southern California, getting yelled at, shivering, and making I feel it like most of the time that happened to us, it was because of you and some type of substandard <laughs> <It's possible>. performance. That <laughs> wasn't part of the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> I was probably late. So. That is possible. God, the students do show up late too. You're like, are you out of your minds? You Especially to job. the early, yeah, to the early one yeah. where there's nothing else ahead of it. The five, was it the five AMPT to it? Whatever that, whatever that know, is. Our class, our class leadership. We couldn't get that. Get it together. No, no. We were always late, I think. No. With our two buds. We had two officers. Yeah. That both didn't stick around too long. I mean, one of them did, but he went. Then anyway, we had some I very interesting characters. I don't think they had a characters. long trajectory no. <laughs> in the uh, in the SEAL community. You know what? It, it made us tough. Through, yeah, it, it didn't make us tough. It made us have to prove that we're tough over and over again. Do you remember to the you, point that the instructors were like, "You guys, I, how can you not getting this? Like, do you remember? It doesn't have started, to be this bad. We started getting wet and sandy on our own because just, we knew <laughs> we were going to be late, so we would just show just up to the evolution. It. Let's just do. it. Let's get ahead of this. So I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we could skip that step, but oh, now we're so going to pound the shit out of you. And I remember when I, so I rolled out there at the end of, at the end of Hell Week um, to let you go forward so that you could go yeah. without me and I, I could forge give you that path. confidence. I needed to, I could give you, show I you that to do it you on could my do own. it on your own. Uh, you're welcome, <laughs> by the way. But uh, I, I remember when you guys moved on into second phase, like some of the second phase instructors were like, oh man, you guys had the worst first phase ever. Like, oh, we we're going to take it a little easier. It got personal. Yeah. The instructors hated us. It was How bad. do I know that? They told us. <laughs> but then by second phase, like it seemed like those guys were like, oh. And well, we had some guys. rollbacks who were a little bit better. We had yeah. some other officers roll in. Yeah. Yeah. We just had, we had poor leadership, man. It's amazing how poor leadership can just auger in high performing teams. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then I had, I rolled into that next class and I had great leadership in there. It makes awesome a difference. Yeah. Changes the experience for everybody. Yeah. Awesome guys. I'm still in touch with today. We, we lost touch for, for a while there, but uh, I'm in touch with both of them now. They've reached That's out awesome. and uh, they're yeah, amazing. I mean, one stops through Park City every now and again. And uh, so it's Sweet. pretty cool to, to reconnect with people, which is another reason to do podcasts because it's an excuse because we would probably just text each other and be like, hey, bro, hey how's up? it going? Yeah. Everything, everything going good? Hey, stop by Park City. You want to go snowboard, ski, whatever. Let's go on a hunt together, you know, yep. next fall. And that'd be it. But instead, 
we get to use this as an excuse to Here come up and catch up and hang out. And uh, I get to help you through your belt uh, yeah, transition. Of course. <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same without you. I can't obviously do one again without having you there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do it again for the for book five. Uh, it, hopefully um, in April, you'll get your brown belt and I'll come back up for, for that next I, April. I don't know, man. I don't know how long you stay at each one of these belts. I literally just go to class and I try to apply what they teach. And uh, I find that most people's biggest a hurdle when it comes to learning is just, they just get in their own way. They bring their own bias. Hmm. My coach, Travis, he's like, hey, put your hand here. I'm like, I mean, like right here like this, you got it every time. Wow. Like that's just what I try to do. Yeah. You know, just yeah. learn. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, we'll plan it, uh, plan to come up and do it again for the next book. And thank you so much again for one, having me on the podcast when no one knew who I was. I knew who you were. Before I had a book out. Yeah. I mean, not even a book on the shelf. And you had me on, so I'll never, I'll never forget that. It's uh, sincerely appreciated, and thank you for coming on this one, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let's do, uh, let's do it again in the new studio next year. Next year with a I'm few hoping, other things. Hoping maybe the tail end of this year, but when it comes to architects and construction, especially now. And let's talk really quick about how horrible Montana is, Wyoming is, Utah is, uh, Idaho is. Nope, not I don't places, play this game. I don't play this not game. Not places for people to go. I will post pictures <laughs> of the beauty of Montana and people are like, they get super pissed. I do. I'm like, do. listen, here's the deal. The United States belongs to all of us. And also, spoiler alert, the secret on all those states has been out <laughs> since like the 70s. So shut up. Like yeah. it belongs to us all. If I, you hadn't posted those pictures, you'd probably have your construction stuff already underway. That's just how it goes. Maybe. Take responsibility. Yeah. But I'm anyway. Gonna, I'm going to post beautiful pictures of where I live. And people, if they want to move here, move here. But just don't suck. And uh, and maybe stop by and and, uh, and say hello in the new facility, which you'll talk about at some point At some point in time. Not quite ready yet. Yeah. A couple months from now, we can nice. take the lid off of that. Got it. Awesome. Cool, awesome. man. Well, let's get Thanks you to the airport. Yeah. Appreciate everything. And uh, yeah, keep crushing out there. I'll try. Welcome to the gear spotlight section of the Danger Close podcast. So sometimes I talk about guns, sometimes I talk about gear, sometimes I talk about books, sometimes I talk about all three. Today, I'm talking about one book and some of the gear guns associated with it. So here we have The Devil's Hand out April 13th uh, in hardcover, in ebook, in audiobook. Ray Porter does the uh, audiobook narration. He's just fantastic. He was just dark side in the Snyder Cut version of Justice League. So uh, you can get that now. But here we go. Some of the weapons used in this novel, and I use gear, guns, knives, that sort of thing to develop characters. Because when I see somebody and I see what they're carrying, how they're carrying it, it tells me a story about that person. So I use that to develop the characters in the novels. So there's a lot of gear in this one, just like in the other novels. And of course, the SIG P365. I've been carrying this one for, gosh, a year and a half. Uh, is it two years now? But yeah, so I've been carrying that and so is James Reese. Uh, cool. Also that XL. So if you haven't shot the XL, definitely do so. Um, this is this has the uh, red dot side on it. Comes from the factory like this. So uh, this is a sweet shooting pistol if you haven't done it. Uh, pulled it out of the box and hit steel at 100, which was pretty crazy right out of the box. I posted it on Instagram. Uh, there's that. And then this is the X compact right here. Once again, red dot sight. There's a red dot revolution going on if you have not heard. So this is the SIG P320 series. And they have a lot of different models out there uh, in that uh, in that line. Uh, they're all awesome. I might have more than one. And uh, this 
is the X Compact right here. So love this thing. Been shooting this thing for a little while now, and it is awesome. All right, you'll find that in the pages. Uh, actually, not just in the pages. You might even find it on the cover of The Devil's Hand. Look close. So that is awesome. Uh, what else do I have? So Zev Custom. So this is a uh, Glock 19 Zev right here. And uh, who's going to be carrying this in this novel? You're just going to have to read it to find out. So uh, Alec Wolf, everybody at Zev, uh, thank you for your support over the years. Uh, awesome. And then Terran Tactical right here. Little John Wick action, Combat Master. So this is a, uh, a 19 from Terran Tactical. And uh, who's going to be carrying this in the devil's hand? Once again, you're going to have to read it to find out. So that and right here, Amtac Blades. My friend Bill Rapier, former SEAL, is uh, designed this blade right here. Uh, you can even make fire with it right there on the sheath. And this thing has an awesome... Look at that. It clips to your pocket. So it's not in the appendix carry. This goes in your in your pocket right there. Uh, awesome blade right here. You'll find this in the devil's hand as well as with combat flathead. So this is designed by my friend Dom Rasso, Dynamis Alliance, uh, built by Daniel Winkler at Winkler Knives. And I'm a huge fan of this thing. I absolutely love it. So it's been the last couple books and uh, you probably need a couple of these things. I think it's you might say it's indestructible, but pretty sweet right there. And of course, my favorite, the Winkler Tomahawk. So right there, uh, I gave one of these to each of my kids uh, on, at my retirement ceremony from the military. And uh, do you think this will come into play in the pages of The Devil's Hand? If you said yes, I think that's a good guess. So there they are right there, Devil's Hand, April 13th. Thank you so much. More guns, gear, blades, and bullets to come. Thank you for joining me on the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Sig Sauer. Now, if uh, you're looking for Andy Stump, you can find him on his Clear It Hot podcast. You can find him at uh, andystump.com. You can find him on the social channels. Uh, just put in Andy Stump and he will pop up. It's an F with an F, S-T-U-M-P-F. And uh, follow him on those. Check him out on the podcast. And uh, if you like this one, please leave a review, leave a rating, do all those things that uh, will help keep bringing us back for more every Wednesday. So thanks again for joining and I'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, stay safe, stay strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.